when she was practicing, I said, Celeste, just don't break our windows. Right? That's the only thing we ask, right? So good, so powerful. Celeste and Chandler were a part of the plant team that started City Life Church 12 years ago, and so we just so appreciate everything that they've done for so long uh, for us, the City Life Church, and so just amazing in all the capacities that they've served in. So how, how many of you got your, your, your radios in your car set to Christmas music, huh? Anybody out there? All right. Not enough hands. Come on, people. It's Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. I'm just saying. You better get with it. He's going to be coming to look for you. Just saying. Little, little inside joke from Facebook there. Hey, well, welcome to A Certain Kind of Christmas. We're launching a new series tonight. It's going to be uh, for this week and the next two weeks. It's going to take us through the month of December. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first four verses to get us started here, we're going to be in this first chapter of Luke uh, for these three weeks. It's such a powerful chapter, and it really, it really, I believe, is, is you're going to hear me make a case for it tonight. Uh, it really sets one of the most forgotten themes that's part of the Christmas story. In verse 1, it says, many people, this is Luke writing to his friend Theophilus, it says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Father, as we just kind of begin our journey into the Christmas story over these next three weeks, God, as we so often say here at City Life, we, we just don't want to be in your word. We want your word to be in us. As we find our way into the story of Christ, we pray the story of Christ would find its way into us. As we, as we find our way into the, into the stories of the lives of the people that were a part of this first Christmas story and, and we discover the principles that defined their lives, Father, we pray that those principles, that they would be in us. We pray, Father, of, for all the gifts that we're going to give to people to celebrate Christmas. God, we know that the greatest gift that we can give ever, Father, is the gift of surrender of our hearts to you for a Savior to still be born, not in a manger, but in our hearts. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said, amen. So we like a little participation here at City Life. Come on. Don't be nervous. Favorite Christmas gift that you got as a child? You raise your hand, and I'll point to you. Favorite Christmas gift you got as a child? Hannah. A baby doll in a stroller. Yeah, come as a set. Did it come? It was all one big set, right? I know. No, no, no. The baby peed itself. Oh, the, it was a, a baby in a stroller, and the baby could pee. There you go. All right, it's got to get you ready for mother. I heard. Saying. Your first bridal and saddle. Did you already have a horse to go with it? All right, because once they give you that, they're kind of committed, right? That's how. You, that's kind of how you ease them in. Had an older one. Stand. Come on, Daisy, single shot, BB gun, Stan Anderson, boom box, nice, on the shoulder, yeah, I had one of those, 
Yes, I did. Chrissy. A Shetland pony. A real one. A real one. Justin. Sega Genesis. Hey, what's up? Atari 1500. Cortez has been in my notes. G.I. Joe White Tire, Kung Fu Grip. I know. I, yeah, yeah. It could hold the right. It could hold the pistol or it could karate chop. Either way. Oh, there you go. Good. All right. We learned a little something about you right there, right? I want the bad guy, Zach. Thirty second later, right? Every Christmas gift that's a bike is also a tr- trip to the ER, right, Jamal? Space Jam Indoor Tent. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. An erector set. An erector set. Nice. The little engineer working there. What's that? Is this your answer? Jordash? Pinstripe? Jeans. Really? Wow. Somebody Google that. We need to see what those look like, right? Anybody else? Anybody over here? A Teddy Ruxpin. Everybody's like, yeah, I got one of those. Anybody back here? American Girl Doll. American Girl Doll. Chris? The Black Lion from Voltron. Got all four of the Black Lion from Voltron. Is that an amen? Or do you have a, Oh, she's got them all. I love it. I love it. So, so Cortez had, had my answer. This was my favorite. Katie. There it is. There it is. If you have a PS4... Or an Xbox, thank us. Because this is where it came from right here. And if you're looking at the switches that are on there, if I could just draw your attention to the left where it says TV type. And when it says color, the B and the W on the bottom for all of the people that sit over here means black and white. Not because that was a setting that you could turn your TV to, but because many of us grew up with televisions that were only in black and white. I know, see, see, I know, that was way before Jordache stripe, pinstripe jeans. Just saying, right? I'm much older than she is. Are you figuring that out? Yeah. So, so this was the original game, right? The joystick with the, with the button. And so I remember getting this, right? You, you're just, when, when you open this up on Christmas morning, you're like, this is the greatest present that you could ever have. And because you know that it sets into motion. Christmases for years to come for the latest release for whatever game is coming out. Right? The, the call of duty fervor that is, it's, it's kind of, it's begun to wane, but people would right, wait in line for hours on end to get these games. Right? We, this is what we did when we were kids, the, the, the latest release of the new game. And for us, right, th- these games were fragile. They were these, these plastic cassettes. You had to blow on them to get the dust off the microchip, is it? And you had to put it in just the right way so it, it wouldn't break. And that's that little bit of right, right below the video computer system. And so the game that I was most excited to you, Next Generation, you're going to be so shocked at how amazing the graphics were in the 80s, right? I mean, if you think you've got great graphics now, just look at these graphics. Yeah. That was it, man. At some point, this was cutting-edge technology, right? At some point, this was it. This was it. And who knows this game? Pitfall, Pitfall. yeah. Got some gamers out there. This was complicated stuff. 
You had to jump over the water and not land on the snake. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Look at, look at the next one. Look at the next one. There were levels. You could go underneath the ground, and you had to avoid things. You had to, this, is, this was gaming. Now, now, if you've got kids in here, you should cover their ears because this is a confession by your pastor. When I was in middle school, and, and, and Pitfall was coming out, and, and I had some sense that, that I was going to get it. On Christmas break, right, my parents are at work, and we realized that we could, are you ready? We could unwrap the gifts, remove the gift, wrap the gift back up, put it under the tree. I know, this is terrible, isn't it? Somebody else should preach because I'm a sinner, right? So, 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 and then, and then, right, this was before there were man caves, but I didn't even know that's what it was, but I had one. When I was in middle school, in our attic, we had a pull-down attic, there was a rug up there, there was a little 13-inch black and white television that we had on a TV stand, we had two chairs, a lamp, and a coffee table, and we played pitfall the, enti- pitfall the entire week leading up to Christmas parents never do. No? First time I've even ever telling this story. My father went to his grave three years ago, and he's hearing this story for the first time in heaven right now. Right? He might actually come down from heaven and spank me, right? Being a 50-year-old man right here in front of all of you. And then a few days before Christmas, you know what we did? We would open the present. We would open the present. We'd put it back in. And you know what's you know what's the really bad part? Is that we would pretend to be surprised when we opened it on Christmas Day, right? It's the devil. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Right? Kids, are, we're just, we're evil. We're evil. And nobody had to teach us. So I just, I hope your kids aren't doing that. But if I were you, I would go home and shake those boxes and make sure something's in there because it might be gone. God wants to give some of you this Christmas. He wants to give you a gift. And the gift that he wants to give to you is the gift of certainty. The gift of certainty. In fact, I believe that for many of you here, certainty is going to be one of your best Christmas gifts this year. For some of you, it might be one of the greatest gifts that you've ever received. Let me tell you a little bit about what certainty is not. Certainty is not the enemy of faith. Certainty is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is not the intellectual, humanistic alternative to faith. It's not the promise of a doubt-free life. Listen to this definition of certainty. A firm conviction that something is the case. It's the quality of being reliably true. A fact that is definitely true or an event that is definitely going to take place. A person or thing that can be relied on. Certainty as a theme is all throughout Scripture. Look at Exodus 3, verses 10 through 12. Therefore, come now, this is in the New American Standard, and I will send you to Pharaoh, right? So this is Moses. He's out tending the sheep. He sees something that looks like a fire up on a a mountain, and so he goes up there. He finds the bush. It's on fire. It's not being consumed. A voice calls out to him. It's God. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground, and God begins to speak to him about his destiny. He says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. 
But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain as a nation. God wanted Moses to be certain about his calling. He wanted him to be certain about his destiny. He wanted him to be certain about his purpose in spite of his circumstances that said otherwise. How about Ephesians 5.5? 5, 5? It says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of, of Christ and God. What's that about? It's Paul saying to the church and the Holy Spirit saying to us today, there are certain Christian doctrines that we should be certain about. Have no doubt that they are true. Look at Psalm 66, 19. But certainly, certainly, God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. God wants us to be certain that he is a father who is perfect in all of his ways. He always has our best interests at heart, and he always hears the cry of his children. What I would say to you tonight is whether it be by faith or by fact, God says that certainty is a human emotion that he made our hearts to feel and we're desperate for it. Let me read that again. Whether it be by faith or by fact, God says that certainty is a human emotion that he made our hearts to feel. He gave us the capacity for certainty and he wants to fill our hearts with it. You know people who struggle with certainty. You might be someone here tonight and you struggle with certainty. These are the symptoms or the, or, or the signs that you might be struggling with a lack of certainty in your heart. If you've got trust issues, if it's hard for you to trust people, if you're just a, a, a person that always finds yourself in this place of suspicion, that you have a tendency to be more cynical than you're supposed to be, then certainty is missing from your heart. If you find yourself in repeated failed relationships, you have a certainty problem because if you have trust issues, you've got relationship issues. And you move from one friendship to another, they fracture over and over again. If you jump from job to job, if you're always moving from church to church, if you're stricken by const a constant sense of vulnerability, you might have a certainty problem, a certainty lapse in your heart. You know how you have those dreams where you're falling? Anybody ever had that dream, right? You're falling. It's terrible, isn't it? Terrible, that, 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 that feeling. Some people, that's how they live their lives. There's this constant sense of vulnerability they can't quite seem to shake and get away from. Certainty is the emotion that begins to fill the heart that gives us a sense of our feet being on solid ground. If your life is marked by inconsistency, instability, and a struggling identity, then you might have a certainty problem. It might be missing. Never let what will forever be uncertain rob you of what you can know is reliably, undeniably, always certain. 
Do not let what will forever be uncertain rob you of what you can know is reliably, undeniably, always certain. I think back, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that the townhome we bought here 10 years ago, after about a year or so, we discovered that it was built with toxic Chinese drywall, and we had to leave that home, and it set us on a five-year journey of uncertainty. We were uncertainty about our family's finances. We had put everything that we owned into that house to make this move to help lead this church forward, and it was all gone. We were uncertain about the health of our children. We were uncertain about our health. I'll never forget having to take our children. They were, they were little then, right? Like seven, five, and three. And, and having to take them to the hospital, they were so afraid. And, and the, the, the number of vials of blood that they had to draw, right? It was vampire-esque that they had to take, right? From each of, each of our kids. And, and they've never, they had never been in, this, in, in, a, in a room like this. It was like surgery. And, and they were frightened. They were scared and we were crying and we were uncertain. Now we know now that there aren't any long-term lasting effects to that toxic Chinese drywall, but we didn't know then. Uncertainty, sometimes you, you, there's nothing you can do in a moment and in a situation to cause your heart to feel certain about that one thing. But over those five years, uncertainty never characterized our heart. Even though we were uncertain about some big things in our lives, our hearts were still filled with certainty because the list of things that we were certain about were always bigger than the list of things that we were uncertain about. And as a devoted follower of Christ, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll spend so much time not here and over here that all of a sudden the condition of our heart the emotional diagnosis of our heart is uncertainty. I've got to live my life with this list and in this pile, even though that list is part of my reality. I have to live my life standing here, even though I know I have to spend time over there. At some point, I've got to do the work to invest in my life to remind myself of all the things that I can be certain about. When I read this book, when you, when you immerse yourself in settings like this, when you're serving and when you're in life groups and when you're on missions trips, you, you know what you're doing? You're building your list of certainty. Because what we know about this life, because God has promised it to us, we are going to face uncertain times. And it's the effort that we do building this list that gets me ready for that moment. One of the reasons why the disciples ran after Jesus' death is this list just wasn't big enough for them yet. And this seemed enormous for them. But as you begin to read through the book of Acts and the Pauline epistles and all the other historical documents, what you find, what you find is that their situation didn't get better. It actually got worse. Persecution began to just become rampant all throughout the Roman Empire. And you know what you began to see? You began to see 
a different response from those same disciples because now all of a sudden they had a revelation of so many things that they were now certain about. All of those teachings of Christ that they had spent three years learning and studying just came alive in their heart. The Holy Spirit just began to remind them of all the things, right? And then even though they faced even more uncertain times than they did in the days following the death of Christ, now because of the resurrection and because of so many other things, even though they faced incredible uncertainty, they were people who were emotionally certain because they believed that the promises of God were true. The gospel of Matthew is given to us to remind us that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of the Old Testament. The gospel of Mark is given to the world to remind us of Jesus' great acts of valor and, 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 and the courage of, of his life and ministry and his power. Mark was written to a Greek and a Roman world. John's theme is love. Luke was given to the world so that our hearts could know certainty. It is the theme of his gospel And I don't think it's an accident that it seems by Luke's own admission that his came much later. I I think it was part of the Holy Spirit's inspiration to him is that he waited before he wrote his. It is as though this emotion of certainty needed to be set aside by itself because it's so often easily overlooked. Look at how he begins his gospel. Luke is interesting. He's He wasn't one of the original 12. He's not a theologian by nature. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And as he sets down to write his account, the very first word that he puts on paper, many different translations leave it out because it's kind of an old word, but in the New American Standard, you find it. He begins with this word, in as much, or this word, for as much. And in the Greek, it's the word epidepare. Now, this is an important word. It's the only time in the entire Bible that it's used. That's it, just this one time. Because it was a secular word. It was a word that was stylistically a part of works of history that were non-religious in nature. Ancient historians always began with this word. Why is that? Because people of Luke's day, when they read that word, when they saw that word, it spoke to them about every other work of history that they had read. It said to them something about Luke. It's, it communicated to the world, I've done my research. I'm not making any of this up. I've interviewed people. I've got notes. This is a serious recounting of something that happened. All of that was in this One word. And everybody in Luke's day and time, his contemporaries, and for decades after that understood the significance of this, the Holy Spirit said, let's start with this word because I want to create this feeling in people that there is a certainty that we can feel in our relationship and our life with Christ. He doesn't stop there. The language of the Bible is so deeply instructive to us. Let me Pick up in verse 3 and read through 4. It says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. 
This word truth isn't just any ordinary word for truth. There were multiple words that he could have picked in the Greek language. There's a precision to, to Greek. English, right, there's just usually one word, and it's through context that we have to figure it out, but not so with the Greek language. And the word here that the Holy Spirit inspires him to use is epinosko. It means to know something so thoroughly that you're certain about it. It's the kind of, right? It's not that if you're a student where you're cramming facts into your brain so that you can dump it out just to take the test, and when you walk away, it's gone forever. Right? Is that, am I the only one that did that? <laughs> Pinstripe Jordash jeans, huh? I just can't. It just, I'm distracted. All right. No, right? Any students in here? This is what you do, right? You're just, you're, 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 you don't know it. You're just, try, you're just trying to pass a test. That's not what this, there were words that meant that. It doesn't mean things that you've been told and, and it's just, it's information. There were words for that, but that's not what epinosco. Epinosco means that it's truth that's a part of you. That, that there's, a, there's a certainty. It, it, it means that no one can convince you otherwise. That's the word he picks here for truth. But he doesn't stop there. He modifies that word with the word certain, which is the Greek word asphalia. This word is only used in the New Testament just three times. That's it. Acts 5.23. The jail was securely locked. This word securely is asphalia. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.3. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, secure as failure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains. This is all prophetic writing of the Apostle Paul about the second coming of Christ. This word as failure only appears in the New Testament three times. Two of the three times speak about physical safety and physical security. It doesn't talk about an emotional certainty. But I don't think that's an accident. We know that Luke, is a, he's a physician. There's a precision. He's an intellectual. He's a linguist. It's not as though that he, it, right, it's, it's, a, it's a college student that's staying up the night before to just hammer out that term paper and, and picks the wrong word because they're unfamiliar with language. No, he reaches for that word because now it becomes a play on words because when you put asphalia in front of epinosco, Really what it means is certain, certain. It's a certain truth that you're certain about. But he doesn't pick the generic word for certain that you find other places in the New Testament. He picks this word that means physical safety and security. Why is that? Because he's saying that there is a truth that we can know. That when we believe it like an epinosco belief, to where no one could convince us otherwise, it becomes a truth that surrounds our heart so that it is safe and secure because ultimately that's what the gift of certainty gives to me. It protects my heart against despair. It protects my heart against the despair that wants to come when I'm facing uncertain times. All right, I'm gonna say a word. And unless you're old like me, you're not gonna have any idea what this word is. You ready? I'm going to know who's old just by who knows this word. You ready? I don't think you are. Galoshes. 
Yeah, right? I know. Saw some hands come up there in the middle. Yeah, people that look a lot like me, not a lot of hair on top, right? Because right? We, we got time in. Who knows what galoshes are? I see some hands. I know. Yeah, yeah. Is it, this would be a good Christian curse word, would it not? Right? What the galoshes is going on around here? Right? You could just work this into your repertoire. Galoshes. I got a picture of galoshes right up here for you. Now, see, if you Google galoshes, you might see something you think are galoshes, but they're not galoshes. This word has been borrowed, right? Boots that are a shoe under themselves, that's not a galosh. That, that, that's a lie, right? This is a true galoshes right here. And this is what my dad had when I was growing up. No self-respecting businessman in the winter months did not have a pair of galoshes in their trunk. Because when you wore these wing-tipped dress shoes from Florsham that cost you about three months of your pay so that you looked the part in the business community, and those shoes lasted you for a lifetime, right? You put shoe trees in them. My dad had a shoe polishing kit. I learned how to polish shoes from watching my dad. And if there was inclement weather, you know what you did? You did not wear a second pair of shoes. You put galoshes on over top of your dress shoes. It's this rubber-like sock that you stretch over your shoe, and it looks just like that. And then when you would get in, you could pull them off. L.L. Bean destroyed the galoshes industry, right? Did they not? You don't know anything about galoshes because L.L. Bean's a real thing. When they come out with a duck boot, the galoshes industry had just tanked, right? Their stock was nothing. It's like what's going to happen to Bitcoin if you're not careful. I'm just, just saying. All right, just, just working that in. This is the perfect picture for what certainty does for the human heart and why we're desperate for it. You and I are gonna walk through situations and circumstances in our lives that are emotionally inclement. inclement. It's like a storm. It's like weather that we don't choose. And certainty is the gift, it's the emotion that God wants you to have that keeps your heart safe. I think even the name of Luke's honorable friend is prophetic for us. Theophilus. You know what Theophilus means? It means the friend of God. It's powerful, isn't it? The friend of God. Because as a friend of God, my heart should be filled with certainty. And I refuse to let the uncertainties of life rob me of what is certain. Whether by faith or by fact, my heart will be forever safe and secure from the certainty that I find in the promises of God. Luke 1, 8 through 20. Listen to this story. Such a powerful story. I've read the story wrong my whole life. I saw it afresh for the first time this week. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. Like It's like being on the SLT. As with the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Powerful, isn't it? Psalm 66 you can be certain that he always hears. He has heard your prayer. 
your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. It's for another sermon or another time, but that was a uniquely Jewish ritual. It was taking the oath of a Nazarite. That's why that's in there. Listen to what it says. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah was a hero for Israel, one of the greatest prophets. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, are you kidding me? Do you know how old I am? Have you seen me and my wife? Were you supposed to be here about 30 years ago? Right? What he's saying to them is, we're old. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not just any angel. Because <laughs> there are a lot of angels up there. I'm not one of them. They're in heaven, but they're not with God every day. I'm with him every day. Sometimes angels have, have missions that they're sent on, and other people like me tell them about the mission. They don't get to hear it from him. I, I heard it from him. From the creator of the universe he sent me. He looked at me and said, Gabriel, you go, and this is what I want you to tell him. And here I am. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly, there it is, this chapter, will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I've always read this story as Gabriel being irritated with Zechariah, right? I've always read this story as, as Gabriel, he just couldn't wait to come. He's in heaven and God gives him this mission. He's like, oh, this is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna show up. He's gonna be afraid, right? He's gonna be in there by himself. Boom, here I am. And then I'm gonna tell him the most remarkable things about his child, things that, that every parent hopes for their child. But, but I'm gonna say, hey, I want you to know the hopes and the dreams that you have for your, they're, they're gonna be Ephesians 3.20 even though you don't know what that is because it hadn't been written yet, but it's gonna be written exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. That's how good it's gonna be. And we waited till you were old because that's just how God likes to do it. He likes to do unbelievable things. I've always read the story to believe that, that Gabriel punished Zechariah for having the wrong response. But this week, after studying this chapter, I think that's completely wrong. I don't think that has anything to do with what's happening here. I think we've been taught it that way. I think our human nature causes us to read it that way. I think what Gabriel was doing in that moment is that he was making the miracle even bigger. I think what Gabriel 
came knowing was going to happen is that this thing that he was saying was so beyond human comprehension that he knew that Zechariah was going to be uncertain about whether or not it could happen. And I think that part of Gabriel's plan, which was God's plan, is that not only did he know that Zechariah was going to struggle with certainty, is that if Zechariah left, if he had had the response he was supposed to have, and he walks out and tells the story to everybody there, what were they going to do? Oh, you're crazy. Did you fall and hit your head while you were in there? You're going to have a, what? You are going to have a baby? And he's, he's going to do what? I think Gabriel was saying to him and was saying to that community and was going to say to the world, I'm going to make it so dramatic that he's not going to be able to speak for nine months. So when he comes out of the sanctuary and he can't speak, people are going to be, they're going to be certain that he had a divine encounter. Nine long months, he can't say a word. So that at the point he finally opens his mouth, people are beyond the possibility of uncertainty. They can't wait to hear the story because they've been waiting nine months to know what happened to him. So at the point that he tells the story, guess what? Everybody's heart is ready for certainty. For some of us in this life, when you're waiting for something and you feel like God is asking you to wait longer than you're supposed to, it's not because he's mad. It's not because he's frustrated. He's just getting your heart ready so that you can believe. There is a certainty that the human heart is desperate to find. And this just wasn't for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is for John the Baptist. This is for John the Baptist. John the Baptist was going to break 400 years of prophetic sight. 400 years. There had always been a prophet in Israel. Always. Throughout history, there was a prophet who had a prophetic voice to that nation. There had not been a prophetic voice for 400 years. I'm renaming John the Baptist for my own study tonight. He was the prophet of certainty. The prophet of certainty. His calling, his message was a message of certainty that he was supposed to bring to the world. If your calling is to break 400 years of prophetic silence, you better be certain. If part of your message to the world is to call out the hypocrisy of the religious establishment, you better be certain. If you're gonna, if your reputation is that you're gonna minister, come on, in the spirit of Elijah, oh, you better be certain. If you're gonna speak against the king in a time and a history where there is no constitution, there are no human rights, the only right you have is to be a victim of whatever the king decides for you. And if you're gonna call him out, you better be certain. If you're gonna baptize the Messiah, the savior of the world, oh, you better be certain. You better be certain. You're gonna get down in that water with him? You better know. You better know your own heart. If you're gonna declare to the world 
that this obscure son of a Jewish carpenter, and by the virtue of the fact that he was a carpenter, which means some rabbi somewhere told him that he wasn't good enough to even be a rabbi, if he was working his father's trade, that's what it means. If you're going to point at somebody like that and say, this is the long-awaited Messiah, you better be certain. You know where he got his certainty from? He got it from his parents. He got it from his parents. Zachariah and Elizabeth had one of the greatest callings of any. I love that we did a baby dedication. Come on. We're not even good enough to put all that together. I'm just telling you. We have such a responsibility as parents. Come on. Such a responsibility. Our kids have a purpose and a destiny. Our purpose and our destiny is to get them ready for their purpose and their destiny. And they better be looking at us. And they better be learning an example of what certainty looks like even in uncertain times because they're going to need it to fulfill their calling. There's never going to be another John the Baptist, you know what, but there's never going to be another one of your kids either. Their destiny is just as important. Even if nobody knows about it except for them and God, it's just as big. It matters just as much. And I'm telling you, they won't get all the way there without certainty filling their heart. Certainty filling their heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Oh, I'm excited about this series. We're going to sing a song to close this service. And I know for some of you here, certainty is not the word that you came in here with tonight. Uncertainty is the word that you came in here with. Even if maybe you didn't form that word in your mouth, even if you were unaware maybe of the condition of your heart and you had not yet connected to this word of uncertainty, now that you're hearing it, you're saying, oh, that, that, that's my word because that's my life right now. Listen to these verses. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And they are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit in each season. You picking up on that? Not just the fruit bearing season, but producing fruit in every season, even in the seasons of uncertainty. Their leaves will never wither. They prosper in all that they do. You know what makes that possible? Is that meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. It means that they've given their life to building the list of certainty so that when they're facing uncertain situations and uncertain things, their heart is still emotionally certain because that list is the biggest list they've got. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person in here whose life has been swept away in a current of uncertainty, and I pray that they would be like a tree, that you would lift them up out of that river uncertainty, and they would have a sense tonight of their life being planted on the river banks, their roots going deep, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden all the promises of God that they know to be true and certain would begin to fill their heart with this emotion that keeps us safe. Even though their situation isn't changing, 
even though this circumstance still remains uncertain, that there's a certainty in their heart that they bring to that moment. I pray that you would give them that gift tonight. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.